close the gates! Six of our northern cities have fallen in a coordinated attack. Their leader fights alongside a witch. Kia I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today, the details going to the movies. Crush these murderers. Your Majesty. That's the trailer for Mulan, the Disney blockbuster made in New Zealand and China, about to screen worldwide. Then coronavirus hit. We've already made many great sacrifices. Now New Zealand's ready to see it, but the rest of the world isn't. The reality is, this is New Zealand. We might be ready to open. The states won't open a big blockbuster if their cinemas aren't open. So not only have they had to deal with COVID, but now uh, you've got mass protests. News Hub's entertainment editor Kate Roger talks about the struggling multi-billion dollar cinema industry, big screen versus small screen, and the new head of the New Zealand International Film Festival, the country's biggest cultural event, tells me how he avoided pulling the plug by going online. My tira Māori title is Kai Fakateri, which is you know, navigator of, of, of a great stately waka. Suddenly the waka turned into a whitewater raft, and I was like... <laughs> Fingers holding on to the edge of the rubber rub. The northern invaders will kill her. If I expose her, our own people will kill her. Well, it must be kind of strange for you as the entertainment <laughs> editor <laughs> of News Hub to be doing doing something where really kind of there's nothing happening. Yeah. Well, do you know what? There is, and that's been the really... Uh, fascinating thing as I look and how we'll call it my round uh, over the last <clears throat> 10 years in particular it is very international focused uh, I do spend an enormous amount of time travelling around speaking to international filmmakers or New Zealand filmmakers overseas uh, and that's the bread and butter and as working for a mainstream television news network it's, it is important that we have the Meryl Streeps and the Matthew McConaughey's and the Brad Pitts and all of those people but also that we have the Steven Spielbergs and visit sets and, and cover the Oscars and cover the BAFTAs and all of those things, the appetite for those kinds of stories is enormous. But the reality is there are, and I have done and continue to always do great New Zealand stories, but it means I have the time and the oxygen now flowing through me on a creative level where you can stop and turn and find those stories. Uh, And especially now that we're kicking off production far ahead of uh, anywhere else in the world, it actually is a great time to be looking at those stories. It's not that um, I've always been an absolutely massive proponent of New Zealand film and filmmakers and always cover local content, Uh, but often the gaze is elsewhere and now there's an opportunity really to um, invest in what we have here in New Zealand. So gosh yes, it has changed enormously. I'm, I have to be very honest and say it sounds glamorous all the time and the last time I spoke to you from Toronto was <laughs> extraordinary and those moments are like none other. Uh, but gosh, it's nice not to get in a plane every couple of weeks. My kids remember my name. You know, it's kind of a bonus. And so you're covering industry issues and in a way there's a lot of news there mm. but... There's no movies. No, we, you're we right. want to go to the movies. We do. We do. And, and, the move, and the cinemas are open now, but there's nothing on. This next six months to a year to two years is going to be absolutely fascinating for that reason. Uh, but the whole way that films are. Uh, I mean, you can make the greatest film in the world. You and I could make literally an Oscar winning film right now. If we don't tell anybody about it, no one's going to see it. And even though it often seems like all of these glitzy, glamorous premieres are, are just money grabbers, uh, there are lots of ways to market films, but people need to know that they're happening. And uh, 
even when these films are going to be ready, there's not going to be the opportunity for what we call, which are called junkets, where we do fly around the world and have an opportunity to sit down with the filmmakers uh, and the actors and talk about the film. And I don't know how that's going to work. And in fact, I'm a member of a big um, Facebook group for International Film Festival journalists because the, the film festival circuit in particular on its own is the lifeblood of an international freelance entertainment reporter uh, because that's where they get all of their content. They get to see the films and it's a, it's a great hub. Obviously, it's a great hub for filmmakers and distributors and uh, people who want to buy and sell films as a market. Film festivals are the lifeblood. Uh, but for reporters like me also, uh, so it is. That's all ch- fundamentally changed, and until we are well post, 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 post COVID, uh, it's hard to say what that market and that system will look like at the end of it. So, what do you think of what NZIFF is doing? They had to do it in that moment. Uh, I think what we're looking at is a situation. In fact, I was just having a chat about how, just on a on a really base level, all industry is looking at the working from home. Um, aspect. Um, so many companies and businesses and industries would function so much better, but it's so hard. You can imagine it would be years of discussion to get to that point. Boom! That decision was taken away. It had to happen and we were there. Uh, and I feel this continuing debate about video on demand and streaming versus theatrical. Uh, and you've got the Chris Nolans, uh, who's all about making films to be seen in the cinema and then you've got other filmmakers that they don't care how people see their films as long as they see them. Uh, this This is a really interesting debate where so many hands have been forced. This summer was slated to be a real sizzler of nostalgia. Top Gun Maverick was supposed to fly into theaters again in the summer. It's one of life's mysteries, sir. But it didn't. But what we're also seeing is those cinemas going bankrupt. I mean, you've got AMC in the States dangerously close to going bankrupt. They're one of the biggest cinema chains in America. Regal, another one. So was the latest Ghostbusters adventure. He has a gunner seat? Ghostbusters Afterlife. COVID-19 pushed back both those summer releases. Oh, killer replica. Making 2020 the summer of silence at the box office. We don't want to see the cinema chains go bankrupt. I certainly don't. My first choice uh, to sample any kind of visual medium is in a cinema. doesn't mean I don't binge watch at home like crazy because I do. Uh, My appetite for story is fed and fed and it makes me want to go to the cinema even more. Uh, So I don't think the appetite for going to the cinema will necessarily take a massive hit. Uh, I just think fundamentally the distributor model is is changing. Uh, I think when Universal released Trolls World Tour at the beginning of lockdown to video on demand, it made more money uh, in three weeks than it had made in, I don't know, the entire time it had been in the cinemas. The trolls are streaming into people's homes. The fight over trolls has raised the question, will we still go to the movies after the pandemic ends? The Trolls World Tour digital release on the same day it was expected in theaters was a huge success domestically. So the model could be that you release on both platforms and you give people the opportunity to buy it at home and go and see it at the cinema. It's interesting because everybody's hands have been forced. And if you think about the New Zealand Film Festival when they made this decision, there was no end in sight. They didn't know where the cinemas would be open come July. They can't make plans to have international filmmakers come here and talk about it. So whatever would have happened if they'd stuck to their plans would have been a very risk, um, heavy, heavy laden in risk. Uh, So I completely endorse their decision to do so. Uh, And also it's an opportunity for all of those films still to be seen. Like you said, 
a lot of little cinemas around the country, independent cinemas, have been open for a couple of weeks. Uh, this week on June the 11th, the Rialto chains uh, of event cinemas will reopen and I have it on fairly good authority that the multiplexes may well kick off the week after, so around sort of mid-June. It's content, and content is king, and um, and what can they play? Um, so I know, uh, which I can't really talk about right now, but I do know there are some announcements to be made in the next couple of days about some releases that might uh, open in time for the multiplexes. There still hasn't been a confirmation of Chris Nolan's tenant. All I have for you is a word. which has been sort of lauded as the great white horse galloping in to save theatrical um, from the doldrums, which is he shot on IMAX and every single one of his film demands to be seen on the biggest screen with the best sound you can find. Some of the wrong ones too. You've got Mulan, of course, Nikki Caro's um, New Zealand shot Disney film, which will be another big screen epic, which is still down for the 23rd uh, of July. And every day you wake up and, and you, you, something else will change and be different. But the reality is, this is New Zealand. Uh, we might be ready to open. Uh, the states won't open a big blockbuster if their cinemas aren't open. So not only have they had to deal with COVID, but now uh, you've got mass protests. The last thing anyone's going to do is, A, open a cinema again, or B, people aren't really interested in going to the cinema as yet. I think the stat... Uh, that I heard was at least 85% of domestic cinemas in the States must be open before Warner Brothers will consider releasing Tenant. And they're nowhere near that. So where does that leave the state of the New Zealand cinema industry? Struggling. Events, obviously, um, publicly um, having to uh, make quite a few people redundant in their company and and, and stream back. Uh, Their income has been flat. Zero. I mean, they've had to close the doors. Uh, they want to get open as soon as possible. Hoyts will be the same. They're owned um, by an Australian company, um, the same as Aventus, and um, I think they've had a couple of little cinemas in Australia open. So Hoyts is already saying they're, they're almost ready to go as well. So uh, what Event I know is going to do is... Gets, they've got license for a couple of really great big screen old school films. They've got Die Hard, uh, they've got Alien and Aliens, uh, they've got The Matrix and they've got the got, got Gremlins. So they'll probably open the doors and schedule a few um, of those to get people back in, which for someone like me, I'm pretty stoked. I'll go and watch Aliens on the big screen <laughs> any day. But it's not the same reach as opening a Fast and the Furious or a Black Widow. It's just, it's just not. We are at the behest of... America. Mm. That's at the end of the day. It's not like they're going to say um, Mulan can show in New Zealand because, of course, they want Mulan to show in China. Uh, Nikki Kari's been very specific about this uh, this story having come from China to be a film that they will embrace uh, and their cinemas sort of open and close and open and close. And But for New Zealand, there is a potential big upside. But how big is it? I mean, we, we've had the Avatar crew arrive and we've made a big deal of that. American producer John Landau has made the cut. He He's making the Avatar sequels with James Cameron. I'm in New Zealand on the set of the Avatar sequel. Restarting the $3.3 billion film industry, which provides 74,000 jobs, can't come soon enough.
Is that the beginning? I mean, how realistic is it that this could be a real boon for filmmaking in New Zealand? I think if we get in first and get in hard, um, there's no question that we could take advantage of this situation. And I know Annabelle Sheehan from um, from the Film Commission has been talking about this, but I've also been speaking to a lot of um, heads of production houses uh, based here. Well, New Zealanders, obviously, people from screen time and uh, around the traps that have big co-pros, uh, co-productions that are shooting up and down the country that were instantly put on hiatus. And all they need is one or two people. And in all honesty, I think there was one production that needed just three uh, Canadians to come back into the country for that entire production of, you know, I don't know, 200 people um, to kick back into into action. And I know when the, the COVID, um, the new protocols were released by the New Zealand Film Commission, then ads slowly started to get kicked back off. I know Westside uh, for TV3 production kicked off last week and they're, they're off and running for their final season. Uh, they're casting again for ads, which means casting agents are working again and you'll have location scouts out and about. Um, the Power of the Dog started again today, the Jane Campion one. Uh, so absolutely, those are all ones that were already in production kicking off. Uh, we've always been looked at as a great place to shoot. If we're able to let people into the country, that's the biggest key. Um, there is absolutely no reason why there can't be a boon. You've got those brand new spanking studios uh, that have just opened as well, which I'm dying for a sneak peek around. In West Auckland, um, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need to we need to capitalise on that because, like I say, it's a big industry, and it also means if we can't blanket let a whole lot of internationals in, even to be on cruise, it means we have to look to New Zealand people to to fill those. And I know a lot of companies that were recasting roles uh, with looking for New Zealanders because they couldn't get their internationals back in. Uh, so I haven't been asked to, um, to be cast in Sigourney Weaver's um, uh, as Sigourney Weaver in Avatar, but, you know, I'd, I'd certainly consider it. Um, and it's great having the Avatar people back in here. It's a huge production, and it employs just hundreds and hundreds um, down through the tracks. Uh, but there'll be all sorts of other little ones um, cruising back in as well, I certainly hope so, that should be entitled to that same exemption. So what do you think the future is for international film festivals? Um, so interesting. Um, what can has announced last week is it had its selection and couldn't show them at the festival. Obviously, they cancelled the festival, but they've given it as a kind of a badge of honour. Um, Wes Anderson's French Dispatch, my God, I can't wait to see this film, um, and a host of other international films, over 50 of them, have been given the the, the can um, stamp of approval so that they can go out and be released as a can um, qualifier, essentially. So that's when you look at the the cover or the poster and it's got the, yeah. the can. In competition or out of competition, a mm. can, um, which is that's a massive badge of honour uh, but you've also got an opportunity for those films then to use that to market themselves which is really really a really great thing to do. Um, Venice it sounds like I'm not sure if you saw a story at the weekend uh, focusing on Venice and it's just there's just nobody there and the, the city obviously tourism's its only uh, its only way of making money and the Venice Film Festival's due in September the governor has said that that film festival will go ahead and if it does so the fest is yet to confirm it will be the first big major festival. So everybody's diversified, um, but everyone wants the film festival circuit back up and running. Well, as Kate Rogers says, the international film festival circuit is the lifeblood of an entertainment reporter and filmmakers, distributors, the entire industry. Some have cancelled this year, others have gone online. New Zealand's is just weeks away from going online for the first time in its 48-year history. But getting there for the new boss, Martin Raybarts, has been tough. The interesting thing was was finding us ourselves each of us in different roles dealing with 
the anxiety that came with COVID, the not knowing what the future might hold from all different corners, all of our partners, you know, everyone that, that the festival normally interacts with, they didn't know what the future was looking like and they certainly didn't know what a digital online festival future was looking like. Are you talking about sponsors and all sorts advertisers? Of, yeah, and yes, and the rights holders and distributors, both internationally and locally. Because it it had never been done before, and there were a couple of festivals internationally that were had sort of jumped on the online format before us. But uh, yeah, no, we, we've been making it up as we go along. And did it take like all of lockdown to get to get there? Oh, to be able to yes, say, abs- well, we we started before lockdown. We had made the decision to go online before lockdown. We'd certainly through all of lockdown, I, I've never worked so hard uh, <laughs> as in lockdown. I got very sick of my friends telling me what yet another Netflix series that binge watch. I was like, I don't want to hear that. I'm working 24-7. I'm talking to people in New York and then I'm talking to people in Christchurch. I'm, like, I'm not sleeping. With us moving into level one now, is this a mistake that you've made this decision that the New Zealand Film Festival is going online rather than in the theatres? Yeah. No, I'm so glad you asked me that because it, it gives me a chance to... to to have people understand that it takes six months to set up a film festival. The work that goes into it actually takes a year. Like, we've been travelling for programming right through the end of last year and up until January. There was no way we could possibly, with all the things that were unknown about COVID, as, as, the, as it started to lock down, that we could anticipate anything like where we are right now. So we had to make a decision which way we would go. It was either cancel the festival for 2020 or go online. Um, and now we're fully set up to go online. And, uh, you know, we, we will be looking at exploring the possibility of limited screenings in cinemas, obviously. But the scale of the film festival is so great that we can't possibly, in four and a half, five weeks, um, flip everything and suddenly go back into the cinemas. It's just, it, it's just a great machine of organisation, of accessing rights, that's another thing. Like the films that we normally, you know, we would normally show on cinemas, we access theatrical screening rights. So now we only hold this moment. Online screening rights, festival screening rights. You know, booking films, inviting them, having them confirmed is an incredibly complex process, actually. It's not just like we walk into the Civic and throw the switch and there's a movie. So, but how difficult was it to make that decision between closing or going online? It was heartbreaking. There were so many factors. One was, do we leave a great gap of the festival in this country? You know, it's, it's the largest cultural event of New Zealand. Um, the numbers of people that anticipated in the middle of the winter to bring light, which is something we're very aware of, light, story, ideas, issues. That was the first question. Do we simply cancel? Was there an alternative? We looked around. Just at the time we were making this decision, the very first successful online festival happened. That was CPH Docs, the Copenhagen Documentary Festival. And they managed to turn around on a dime. It took them about five days to go from an in-cinemas festival to a fully locked down online festival. Um, and the, they did that successfully. So we had a, a model that could be done and we had more lead time. Like that, we were doing budget projections in terms of possible audiences, and the numbers were were just horrific. Even a medium case scenario with some cinemas open with social distancing, there would be a seventy five percent fall off in audience. 
Because how many people do you get? We Last year we had 260,000 sold tickets. That's an extraordinary number. We also knew there were beautiful films out there that we had already chosen and we had already invited, that we wanted people to see. There were layers and layers of, of decision-making. No one had ever done this before, so no. for us it was all it was like both terrifying and thrilling. <laughs> but what goes into <clears throat> switching a film festival with how many films... Um, do you normally show? We normally show uh, around 160 to 180 films. Right. So what does it take to take it from that to an online offering? Well, if you'd asked me that a few months ago, I would have said, God only knows, <laughs> let's make, let's figure it out. And that's actually what we've all been doing together. Um, one, the first, in terms of the numbers of films, we we shorten the time frame. It will be a 10-day festival rather than the usual two weeks. We'll be presenting something between 65 and 80 films, including our shorts collections. One thing we did have to do was films that we'd already invited. We had to go back and renegotiate rights. We had to present all of those distributors and rights holders um, assurances that we had an entirely secure platform that would prevent piracy. We had to look at premiere status because films that show in our theatrical version of the festival then may go on to a, theat- a theatrical life later on and, and show in cinemas across the country. Um, so sh- going online, we actually had to d- draw an expertise, which I drew down from Europe, of creating an entirely new category of rights, which is non-theatrical festival streaming rights. We were helping define, actually, something that was is so fluid that everyone who was trying to have an online festival, we were trying to figure this out at the same time. So they're sort of technicalities, but they were they played a, a really big role and they occupied us. Did any uh, of the filmmakers or distributors say no? Yes, of course. Oh, they of did? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was expected. We, we knew that some filmmakers would be unable to or unwilling to present their film first, first time online. Sometimes that's about a premiere. Sometimes it's about the New Zealand premiere that I fully understand. Other distributors that we might usually work with who are controlled by American studios, for example, they were, as, as, as colleagues and individuals, they were warm and, and, and supportive of what we were trying to do, but they had you know, blanket policies handed down from Los Angeles uh, saying no online festivals. So, you know, that's to be expected as well. Like, I, I, I knew from the start that there would be people who wouldn't be able to offer us their films in the same way. But this, this is a real experiment, though, isn't it? I mean, you don't know if it's going to succeed. I know it's going to succeed. OK. <laughs> no. Um, of course it's an experiment. Um, No-one's ever done it before. Um, and that was one of the things that, that we realised as we were diving deep into an understanding of how you really mount a, f- a film festival online um, beyond just having a, a video platform, a VOD platform where you could show a film online. That's not what we were talking about. We were talking about a festival. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're using Apple, give us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Kate Roger and Martin Raybarts. Mā te wā.